Welcome to another episode of Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. Very excited to, uh, for our next guest today, Josh Reed Jones, the founder of the Just Be Nice Project. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's a great pleasure. Now, now tell us a bit about yourself. I want to sort of understand what you're all about and what the Just Be Nice project is. Yeah, look, that's a great. It's a great question. It's an awkward one. Um, I, I I speak publicly a lot. I do a lot of like keynote speaking and stuff like that. And one of the most awkward things is having your bio read out while you just stand awkwardly mm-hmm, to the side, mm-hmm. and they go, "Then this Josh is blah 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 does this and, and whatever." Um, so I guess. What I what, to describe myself, I just say, look, I'm someone who is trying to help people to help people. Mm-hmm. I believe that people uh, deserve good help, and mm-hmm. that there's a lot of goodwill and there are a lot of resources in the world, and that we could do a better job of turning those into good outcomes for everybody and sort of giving everybody the leg up and access to opportunities mm-hmm. that, that they deserve. Yeah. You know, so that's that's kind of been something that has always been front of mind for me, um, even as a kid, and obviously not with the same nuance and, and expertise and understanding, but something that I've always looked towards. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that, I started the Just Be Nice project, you know, some 10 years ago after spending a lot of time thinking about and working on solutions to the reasons why people don't get good help and how we can build frameworks that ensure that we take everyone's goodwill and resources and turn them into good outcomes. And that's that's kind of what we do now. We, we help people to help people. Mm-hmm. And it's a very difficult thing to put in a, in a nutshell. One of the one of the challenges in social impact or doing good is the more simple the explanation, the more it sounds like everything else. Mm. But um, the other the flip side to that is I could talk for days about all the things yeah. that go into it, you know. So um, that's what I do. That's what I do each day is get up and try and find ways to make sure people get the help that they need. What kind of help do people need is it for financial is it mental help or what is it yeah great question it's all of the above really and i guess from my point of view there are a couple of outcomes that you need to work towards and and people rail against the idea of equality of outcomes and they talk mm. about equality of opportunity mm. being a better starting point and that's that's true because everyone is not the same and everyone's not going to be the same and everyone doesn't want the same things But equality of opportunity is an outcome. Mm. It's not this like just idea. And so you have to have an under, you have to have at least an aspiration for for an op, what opportunity looks like. And in a practical sense, in a place like Australia or any sort of developed country, what we want is something that is useful here, but doesn't exclude perhaps like the global south and, and the developing world as well because there are a lot of interventions that are focused at frankly rich white people mm. to take them in their last little bit of their journey to being okay mm. that are irrelevant to places that aren't as well resourced and so being housed being employed and having good mental health mm. are the three outcomes that we work towards and so if you need help with any one of those three then basically that qualifies you in the in the frameworks for the Just Be Nice project to getting help. To get those outcomes, people need different things. Mm. And it's about meeting people where they are to do to get those outcomes. So it might be training, it might be uh, the broader economic climate in which you are that is affecting the fact you can't get a job. You spoke mm. earlier about being in the country. If there aren't jobs, mm. there's only so much like, go on mate, you can do it. Yeah. That you can tell people to do. Mm. Mental health is is important, but 
it that relates to the depth of your relationships, your participation in community, um, the support you feel that you've got, and the opportunities you've got around you. But it also relates to being able to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. And so, if you come to me as a friend, or you call me up because I'm a you know a meant quote unquote mental health hot, uh, hotline, and you say I'm really struggling, I've got bills I can't pay, I can't find work, um, I'm feeling really down, I feel like I'm letting myself and my family down, and I go. Real brave mm. of you to tell me. Thanks so much. It is. Have absolutely. a great day. <clears throat> you, you go, well, thanks for listening, but I've still got bills to pay. Like are we going to take mm. care of these material challenges that are obviously very much affecting my mental health? Mm. And so by putting all those things together, then we're able to sort of work towards an outcome for people that Also giving them, a, you know, like a 30-second motivation on the phone call isn't going to cut yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's all know, well said and Rent done, is coming at the end of yeah, the month yeah. and they would be evicted if they don't pay the bills. So we have to give them constructive advice and help them get into situations where they have the opportunity to do something. Yeah. So how do you make that happen? It's So one thing that I think is really important that doesn't get spoken about, and there are a number of things that are really important that don't, don't get spoken about, but one thing is, and, and you, you touched on it there, is like what do we tell them to do? Like what mm. do they need to do? And I think that in a really individualistic society where people take all the credit for the things that happen to them, we're really focused on telling people what they need to do. What I'm focused on is what's happening around that person mm. because sometimes you can't do the thing. It's not all about what you are doing. Mm. It's what's available to you and what's around. Mm. And maybe to free up the time for you to do X, Y, Z, maybe we just need to pay your rent for a little bit or just chop you out a little bit. And when, when people are so used to saying, telling the story of their life and they say, I did this, what I did was I went to school, I, I studied hard, I worked hard, I reached out mm. at work. I did work experience and then I got a job and then I spoke to my manager and I stayed back late and then I did this and I did mm. that and now I'm a you know, director of a, a, a professional services firm. Because the whole story I've told myself my whole life is about everything I've done, then when someone says I'm having a bit of a tough time, the advice that I give is what you need to do is work hard, head down, reach out, shake hands, mm. stay late, do all this kind of stuff. But what is missing in the first story is is that, okay, I was born into a literate household mm. with books. My mum was an accountant. My dad was a lawyer. I went to a private school. I had this great education. I went and did my work experience with people who I knew in an area I was familiar with. Mm. I always had an aspiration to be in professional services because I knew what they were when I was a kid. When I reached out, you know, quote, unquote, reached out, for advice or you know to put my neck out it was to someone who looked like me sounded like me Mm. went to the same kinds of school i went to played in the same footy team same you know old boys league Mm. and then i stayed late and i did all this stuff but i was buoyed along by the fact that everyone i was always in context every time i knew what was going on we all had easy relationships because we we have similar life experiences we like the same things and at the end of the day now I'm in this great position as this director of this company. Mm. If people looked at it like that, then when you look at someone and instead of telling them what to do, you look around them and you go, oh, you didn't have literate parents. You didn't have a book mm. in your house. Mm. You didn't know what a lawyer was until you mm. were, you know, being arrested and you're in court and you've been given one, mm. you know. So to tell that person what they need to do is X, Y, Z is, is inadequate. Mm. What I look at is, all right, well, how do we have 
the most support around people to give people all those opportunities so they feel comfortable they feel confident they get that support mm. they make mistakes but they don't ruin their lives mm. with a small mistake mm. um because you know frankly rich people and poor people largely make the same kinds of mistakes but they have a much greater beings. impact on poor mm. people or people True. that are displaced so looking around people at what you can do to help makes a difference and for someone people are really good at recognizing opportunities they haven't had like, oh, I missed out on this, I didn't get this, and mm -hmm. really bad at telling the story about the opportunities they did have. And so if you've always had someone you can call up and go, oh, mum or dad or whatever, mm. I just need 50 bucks, you, then it, someone who just needs 50 bucks and can't get it from anywhere, it's very difficult for, that, for you to understand mm. that, oh, what you need is 50 bucks. Like it, mm. it hasn't even come into my head because I would just call up and say, hey, mum, can, can you spot me 50 mm. to get me to the next payday? Mm. There are people who don't have that. If they don't have that, sometimes it sends them like buried them, send them backwards by you know orders of magnitude that are just unnecessary that we could we can we can deal with. And, and so yeah, yeah, you you balance that agency for people so they can direct their own lives, helping them take action themselves, mm. and what needs to be around people to facilitate that. So <clears throat> let's take the step by step. So let's say I am someone who's struggling. Well, first of all, financially, um, and I come up to you guys like, hey you know i need help i've got bills to pay i don't have a job at the moment I'm trying my best so what's what's the process look like from there yeah so the first thing would be um like a financial assessment hmm. so we don't rely on people to tell us their financial situations mm -hmm. because again like not everyone has great financial literacy mm -hmm. um also, one of the things in underserved or underprivileged communities is that debt collection is like predatory. Mm. So there are a number of options where people are getting chased down for stuff and they don't need to be because, frankly, people break the law in, the, in chasing them down. Mm. Sometimes it's the government breaking the law like we saw with robo-debt, mm. you know. Um, but they're vulnerable people who are already on the edge and, and so you, you need to get a, a good uh, snapshot of what's going on. And so we have uh, accounting accountants to do that sort of work mm. and that's taking that that gives you basically the the picture financially which is really important because financial distress is like such a massive mm. stress. that's the first pillar of if you want to stand out basically that's right and what happens is when people don't do that and and lots of places don't start there if it's hard for someone a low-income person to be living beyond their means more than like a hundred bucks a week because mm. it just racks up mm. too quickly yeah so usually it's this weird sort of less kind of creep kind of thing where you start, oh, I'll, I'll put a bit on the credit card or I'll delay this bill and it kind of just builds up and it all comes to a head around mm. rego or a car accident or Christmas, you know, yeah. where all of a sudden you've got to dip in for an extra few hundred bucks you can't find. So when you, when you, when you understand that, if you tell someone to go get a job, which people do, and there are organisations that might be like, oh, just get a job. If you, don't, if you don't have that financial snapshot, then I might send you to work that might leave you in the same place and then you're still doing work, mm. your benefits go down a little bit, your time gets a bit stretched and then so you maybe buy a bit of extra food because we haven't done this first. So mm. you buy an extra few takeaway because you're busy you and then in the end you're still in the same spot and it's mm. devastating for people because they're like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. So when you've got a really clear idea, you go, this is the amount of hours we need, this is the kind of work we need to find, it needs to fit in with your lifestyle like this, you need to be getting paid this much and then maybe there's some debt consolidation 
um, not like a debt consolidation company, but just like, all right, this is a, pl a plan that can work. Mm. Um, we need to put some money away. We, we anticipate future expenses and do that sort of stuff. And so if you're falling behind, say, 100 bucks a week, that's $5,000 a year. Mm. It doesn't have to be the case that as a, maybe a single mom or whatever, that you need to work an extra work to find $100 a week. Mm. The way we do it is you need to find $5,000 a year. And that might mean that in certain times of the year when certain things are on, you do more work. And then in other times of year, you've got the time off. So you need time off on school holidays. But, you know, when it's event season, maybe you're doing some um, uh, hospital work at like mm. this tennis and then the footy and then, you know, so how do we find you $5,000 in the year? Mm. It doesn't have to be that you need to go and do this thing every week. Mm. So that's mm. one thing that's a bit different. Once you're on top of that, then it's about making sure that you've got support and opportunities to have relationships because it's also not just find enough money that you can leave the house to go to work, pay the bills, come back and just be in the house all mm. the time. So are you involved in, in things? Do you have the opportunity to spend time with friends? Do you mm. have those people around you, friends, family, whatever? And then it's about facilitating those kinds of things. When you take that all together, the rent's kind of been taken care of in that, in that process. You've got some work which generally puts you into a place with people as well and we try and keep that sort of relevant. We look for opportunities to provide pathways of development at, in a workplace as well. So finding kinds of work that you can progress in mm. or that you can see that if I do it for this amount of time then I can do more hours or I can do something different or maybe work mm. my way up to something. And then make sure that we're not leaving behind the idea that as a human being, you need rest, you need some time with people, and that takes care of a lot of the mental health challenges. Mm. When you sort of take care of all of those things together, um, yeah, people tend to tend to come good over time. And they do make mistakes and people do go backwards. And if they do, you just kind of got to go and meet them where they are, pick them up and then, and then carry on. How does that <clears throat> look like when someone's involved with, let's, let's involve drugs and alcohol with that. Let's mm -hmm. say someone, you know, 20, 25 year old kid, who bought a $30,000 Golf GTI because he loves cars. Now he was stupid enough to didn't buy insurance. He crashed the car. He's 30000 30, in debt. And, you know, there's let's involve drugs and alcohol with that. Mm -hmm. There's a big, big chance he might spiral back down. Mm -hmm. So you're teaching them financial literacy as well as yeah. helping them, you know, down the path. Yeah. So one of the other things that's really important that people need to understand is that and again, not something that people talk about a lot, is that there's this huge element that over that sort of sits over every kind of intervention you ever want to do with anybody, wherever it's coming from, as a friend with someone, as a family member, as an organisation or as a system, and that is trust. Mm. If you don't have trust, I could have all the answers in the world and if you don't trust me, it doesn't, it doesn't make any difference. Mm, and so what happens is people look at someone who's got a, an issue like that and, and I, I'm a massive advocate for treating uh, addiction as a, as a health issue as opposed to like a criminal sort of thing which has got that kind of stigma around it. It's just a condition that, that, that people find themselves in and it's, it's, un, it's unusual to find somebody who is really struggling with uh, substance abuse issues where you go, I don't understand how that's happened. Mm. I've never had, mm. like, it's so rare for me to meet someone mm. and be like, I don't understand how you ended up in this circumstance. Mm. If you take the time to understand all the things, again, around someone, yeah. you go, well, of course. Like, mm. what else were you going to do? 
Yeah. Like, of course you're going to end up here. We, we, we left you in harm's way for so long mm. in so many ways that, uh, well, where, where else were you going to end up, unfortunately? Mm. And so we need to have patience. In the, in the building of the trust, people need to trust the systems, they need to trust the opportunity and they need to trust the people that are around them. And so a massive part with a more chronic and long-term, more chronic and long-term a condition, the more effort you've got to put into trust. Now, what I've never been able to do, and, you know, maybe there's someone listening who's so inclined to, to jump in and fill that gap, but I've never been able to go to a, a, any kind of funding source, whether it's a partner, business partner or, um, or whatever or the government and say, I want to work at the flats in Collingwood. I need two years of funding just to hang out and build trust with these people before we start doing interventions. Never in a million years have we been able to get funding for that because people are selling short-term, frankly, pretty shitty interventions mm. from people who go, yeah, well, they just shouldn't do drugs. So just go and tell them they shouldn't yes. and then mm. they they should work it out. And if they don't, it's because they don't want to get better mm. or they don't care enough or it's that they don't really understand and they don't trust you mm. and they have no reason to trust you because they've been let down so many times. And so you've got to take the time to build that trust up. When you have that trust and when you genuinely are engaging with people for as long as they need the help, then it's just a matter of time. And I think that people have an undue amount of pressure on outcomes on this short time frame because of the way that charities in particular sell impact. Mm -hmm. They sell it like it's quicker than it is and people are constantly shocked that some people need six years of help mm -hmm. to, to overcome their financial circumstances yeah. drug and alcohol addiction isolation you know whatever sometimes it takes six years sometimes it takes 10 and we should have the patience and the system should have the resilience and we should be there for that time instead of being like well if you didn't do it in six months you're useless because mm. it's not fair because if i had cancer i could get treated i could leave i could get it again mm. and again and I'd be on this podcast now 15 years into my treatment. You go, guys, we've got Josh. He's so brave, so strong. 15 years he's been getting treated for cancer. And no one goes, oh, how much did that cost? Oh, why did that take so long? Oh, why are we spending so much money and time on fixing him? Mm. Everyone goes, amazing, mm. amazing. But I take a 19-year-old kid with a lifetime of horrendous disadvantage and he doesn't get a job in six months and people are like, you lazy shit. Mm. You know, what's wrong with you? What are you drinking? Like the guy was assaulted for half of his life as a child, barely went to school. Everyone wrote him off. Mm. I'm amazed he gets out of bed and, and yet we're ready to throw him under the bus within six yeah. weeks. I, yeah. I, I, show me the kid whose fault it is that they can't mm. read. Show me the kid whose fault it is they didn't get a good night's sleep because the, the things were kicking off in their house mm. all the time. And those kids become adults and those adults we leave them behind. It's quite easy to pass judgment when you don't know the full story. someone's world. Yeah. And one or two lectures or a thousand bucks a month is not going to fix it, man. It's 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 a very long and a tedious process. Yeah, and people need people too. So like you can't like abrogate responsibility to someone else all the time. If people don't have someone around them that they trust and that they care about and that they want to listen to, and if that person doesn't have access to the resources that this person needs to get better, it's very difficult that they just happen to get better. Mm -hmm. Um and so. people always say that, oh, you know, pe these people are, well, whoever is getting into drugs, but they never talk about why they're mm. getting into drugs. Like yeah. What's the reason? What's the deep underlying reason that they find 
their, you know, peace or whatever they find in drugs, you know, that distracts them from their shitty life, basically. I, I've always had uh, quite an inherent um, distrust for job services in this country because when I was going through a tough time in my early 20s trying to find work and living on my own, not knowing how to pay the bills, Centrelink assigns you those job service mm. agencies and they don't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's just you, you You feel like you're just doing it all yourself. Oh, just you have to go to this appointment. What do you achieve in that appointment? I don't know. I don't know what I achieved with them at all. Yeah. So how how hard is it? for people to sort of, I don't know, break that sort of distrust they have in their minds when they come to you. Yeah, it's it's really hard. Mm. And I, I think that it's also there's a, there's a there's a, a misunderstanding that like all help is good help. Mm. I, I don't subscribe to that. Mm. I think that like any help is not is not necessarily good help, that you can do more damage with good intentions mm. uh, than not doing anything at all. Sometimes, not all the time, but I'll give you an example. If let's say out, out the front on the street, we've, there's a there's a homeless rough sleeping guy and every day people walk past him and no one's mean to him. Mm. No one, no one's mean to him. They just say, g'day mate, g'day, you know, whatever. And they walk past him and, you know, for years and years, he's kind of there, let's say two or three years. Occasionally someone says, oh, he says, oh, can I have a sandwich? And someone gives him a sandwich or, or whatever. And, that, and that's, that's what's happening. No one really knows what's going on with him. It's that kind of situation where he's not bothering anyone, but, you know, we're just, oh, that's just the guy that's there. And then one, one day I go, fantastic, we've got the resources. I think we'll be able to help mm -hmm. this guy. And I go and sit down with him and say, hey, mate. And I say, oh, good day. And I go, look. My name's Josh from the Just Be Nice Project and we'd like to try and get you back on your feet. And it's no mm -hmm. mad rush, but we'd like to give it a crack and uh, if you're interested. And he goes, oh, like no one's ever, no one's really tried to do mm -hmm. that before. That's lovely. All right, well, what do I, what, what happens? Like, oh, maybe not or I'm okay or whatever. No rush. I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back the day after. Mm -hmm. We'll be back, you know, whatever. We've got a few people that come chat to you. And however long it takes, we're in. Mm -hmm. he goes, All right. At that point, that sounds like a, something where you think, okay, maybe he's gonna, maybe he's gonna get involved, and and we're prepared to bring the mental health support, some community involvement, try and put him in a place that's safe and clean and nice, and and allow for him to be uncertain and take the time to, to settle into that. That's okay. Now imagine that same guy, where the first week that he's on the street, someone comes sits with him and goes, oh my god, tell me your story, tell me your story, homeless guy. Well, I give you this stuff. And he goes, well, you know, oh, this happened. I go, oh, it's shocking. I'm going to help. And they give him a sandwich and they mm -hmm. leave. And another person comes a few days later, oh, my God, tell me your story. Maybe they've got a camera in his face. Mm, they want to know. Yeah. Guys, not every homeless person is just, you know, terrible. Did you know that? But this happens 20 times mm. and nothing – he's no better for it afterwards. Mm. Three years later after this happening several times a week or a month or whatever, when I come and say, hey, man, he goes, can you just piss off? I don't care. I'm not, I don't want to listen. Mm -hmm. His trust is damaged in the institution of help. Mm. And that's what happens when people reach out for jobs when they need work and yeah. they don't get help. Mm. It's what happens when people ask for money and they can't get help or they ask for a stay on their rent. Or a, and, and people go, what you need to do when you need a hand is reach out. Well, that's true. But if you reach out and you're vulnerable a few times and you get knocked back, it's incredibly difficult to keep doing it mm. after just getting knocked back after knockback after let down after let down. Mm. And so 
we have a responsibility to create systems that don't let people down, I think. And Job Active is a shocker because they are very transactional and they're just trying to put people into work. Mm. And it was one of the things we tried to address uh, at JBN at the beginning because I've worked with organisations that do those things and, and they'll call you up and they'll say, oh, hey, do you have a job? Mm. And I've always, well, always... shouldn't you know? Shouldn't you know if I've had... Well, no, they'll, they'll call up a business and say, do you have any, uh, any jobs available? Yeah, okay. And as a business you go, for someone good, yeah. like who have you got? And they're like, I don't know, just some random kid that we've been assigned. Yeah. Well, what have you done with that kid to prepare him for work or whatever? Is he interested? Like, oh, I don't know. Like, Yeah, when those services have called me and they ask me for an update, even though I've given them an update two months ago, <laughs> it's just shocking. Like, shouldn't you, shouldn't you know yeah. if I've got a job, if I've got a casual job, I... Uh, I've been reporting to Centrelink. Why have you? Yeah. Why have you not paid attention? Yeah. And there's all this. this so there's all yeah. this bureaucracy in there. None of it is about making you like really developing you yeah. or developing businesses to be prepared to put you on, because the if you've got a if you've got a person who's got some maybe challenging circumstances, mm. the best places to put them in are usually businesses that have kind of like less than twenty employees, mm. because they've got a bit more flexibility. Mm. You can talk to people. I can't put in someone who has complex needs into Bunnings. They've mm. got 17 folders of HR stuff. The first time that person has a bad day, wigs mm. out, leaves, whatever, mm. they're not having them back again. Mm. They don't have the flexibility and understand. I can't even speak to a person. But if I've got Pete at Pete's Butchery mm. and I go, Pete, listen, if John has a bad day and he just leaves, don't you don't have to follow him, you don't have to get him back. Just give me a buzz, let me know, you know, this is the circumstance. We've set up the hours to be less stressful at the beginning. Mm. He's got to get a bit of a run on. And Pete goes, cool, all right, I can do that. I run the joint, mm. you know. Yeah. And then you can give him a bit of a chance to build so, up so to something. and Personable, yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah. It's a human. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's yeah. got to be human. All this stuff has to come back to like what humans actually need mm. and, and not just what they need to do for themselves but what we can do around them to give them that. Let me ask you this. Are people reaching out to you or are you guys reaching out to people? So we operate off referrals because, again, one of these things that I don't like to do is knock back people directly. Mm. So we have partner organisations that will call me up and say, hey, I've got this guy, Harmon, he needs X, Y, Z. What do you reckon? And I'll be like, all right, we'll suss whether we have the resources for it. It's never like the ultimate goal is that people will be able to just call up and come in just like an emergency room sort of situation but we don't have the resources to say we can definitely take care of everybody, which is, you know, one of literally what keeps me up at night is just like how do we just get more people to give a shit in a, in a more comprehensive way. But we're partners and they, they sort of know how to ask questions and get a, a hand on stuff. They'll call me up. If we can do it, then we go, yeah, put us in touch or ask Carmen if he wants to have a chat with us and then we'll, we'll take it from there. And if we can't, you don't know that happened. So you don't know that, you know, you haven't gone, mm. hey, man, can I get a hand? And we go, no. And you go, see, what's the fucking point in asking for help? Like, it's pointless. Because um, I really want to take that out of the system as mm. much as possible. Uh, but two ways. It's a two-way sort of um, challenge because, one, you've got to have more resources to help pe more people and then provide that opportunity for them to access it. Why do you think this happens? Why do you think people are struggling, let's say, financially? Why isn't? Why aren't we being taught how we can manage our finances in school or in colleges or in universities? I think one of the great lies is that it's got it's all personal responsibility here. We live we're in an environment that is as unequal as it's been in the last hundred and fifty years. Mm -hmm. um, 
rich people getting richer, poor people getting poorer, keep telling poor people to work harder, um, but it's not, it's, they're not reaping the benefits of that productivity. Um, productivity and wage growth is just like so decoupled from each other now that it actually is, it's almost offensive that people would be like, why, don't, why can't you make more money? Frankly, because rich people are taking it. That's why. There is enough money and it is unevenly distributed and when it's unevenly distributed and hoarded and not just put back into public services and, and support that allow people to, to live a sort of basic level of whatever, that we keep telling people all you need to do is keep working but <laughs> at some point there's this whole chunk of people that are working mm. um, that are, are doing everything they've been told mm. to do to the best of their abilities going, I don't understand why I can't afford a house, why I can't afford a rent and it's because we have in, you know, in the States, in the UK, in Australia, these policies that just overwhelmingly benefit people who already have money and they make it very difficult for people who don't. <laughs> and if the jobs aren't paying more because wage growth is not being sort of in line with productivity gains, then there are systemic, uh, there are systemic challenges that we have in, in trying to address those. So I grew up in an environment with no money whatsoever. My mum could turn a dollar into seven. I don't know how, you know, we had no money we were eating just noodles have shoes with holes in them pants that didn't fit you know blah, blah blah and she's working and and trying to raise kids and pay rent and the reason largely that we even got by was because we got really lucky with a landlord who put us in a house for cheap and didn't raise the rent for like years mm. and they were they were um is uh heather and andrew their names they, they were uh, andrew was a minister at a, at a church and he had gone to live in the church. Uh, I can't remember where it was. Um, and I assume just because they're lovely people mm. <laughs> and they knew mum was single mum in it. And they're like, that's okay. Like we don't need to make heaps of money on the house. Like if we can get by on the rent that you've been paying for 10 years, we'll just keep the rent at the same for 10 years. Mm. That That's how I'm here. <laughs> that's how yeah. I'm able to do it. If that had jacked it up 3 4%, you know. Probably- would have been yeah. different. How are we supposed to? Ca- how are people supposed to catch up? Mm. Yeah, you know, like so. It's you, there are a whole suite of 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 things that need to be addressed. But you, the first step is to align everyone's aspirations to think like you actually need, like we actually believe everyone deserves these kinds of outcomes and d- deserve this kind of help. Mm. And a lot of massive sort of, particularly social welfare institutions are kind of under attack in in places the nhs is sort of getting smashed in the uk in the us it's a it's a mess with with the way they look after people here people are really reluctant to address housing costs what the houses cost what rent costs putting controls around those things you know sort of tax high earners a little bit more and 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 do those sorts of things because they don't want to annoy people or, or the people making decisions are part of that sort of that class but but those are very, very important elements of of making a fair and equitable society that gives people the chance to work hard so that they do have good social mobility. So how can we change that? How can we change the, <clears throat> let's say, quote-unquote, inequality of rich people and poor people? How can we shift that? There are a number of ways. It's been done in different places. Um, first of all, you have to you have to prioritise that sort of, social and economic mobility Hmm. so 
people need to get on board with that and not try and hoard all the opportunities and things for themselves. And there are some institutions that literally set people up for that, like AMB, like private schools, for instance. Are like, we don't need them. Why do we need them? Why, why, should, a, why should any five-year-old have that level mm. of privilege over another five-year-old? By virtue yeah, of why nothing. should there be a disparity in education? There has got nothing to do with the kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is zero to do with the kid. Yeah. You cannot say that this five-year-old's earned it in yeah. any meaningful way. Mm. And to to walk into a system where you've got this two two tiers or, or multiple mm. tiers of education, and then tell the kids, "Well, why aren't you working hard enough to afford a house?" Like, mate, that kid had a thirty thousand dollar a year education in a school that looked like Hogwarts with tutors and mm. you know next to poly politicians and and the business leaders what you know i went to school in westall what am i supposed to do mm. you know i don't know any of these people i don't even know that i don't even know the jobs that they're doing mm. i don't think people understand that the directors of these big four companies like the big four consulting firms their wages are three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and up mm. most people are like oh if i earn six figures i'm killing it there's a whole there's a whole suburbs of people that all earn more than that. Mm-hmm. It's not even it's not even an aspiration. It's an expectation that one day I'm going to earn this much money, mm. and I live in a house that's been going up thirty percent year on year that I'm going to inherit from my parents or whatever. That after my thirty thousand dollar a year education, I mean the head start is obscene. They're starting up there. What are we going to tell? What am I going to tell these kids out in out in Pakenham that are you know first generation? kids their parents have migrated from afghanistan and go what you guys need to do to catch up is xyz i mean there is no way mm. what are you supposed to do you came here not knowing anybody people already been left behind from before the, they even get from a the start. very yeah. beginning yeah. and uh, my 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 i guess my beef with it is how on earth can you say that this kid kid deserves it more than this kid mm. because what what 10 year old is responsible for all their own development up to that point none None of them. Mm. So there's things you can do that take that out. And I think, all right, maybe you can't ban private schools, fair enough, but you don't have to subsidise them. You can tax them. You should make it that every public service person, every politician, every person who works in the public service has to send their children to public schools. You're in charge of the system. Mm -hmm. How on earth can you send your kids to a private school and be in charge of public schools, Mm. you know? All right, well, there's a handful of sort of things that start to make it, start to change it up because we know that when people mix with different people that their, their, their empathy becomes more expansive, their understanding of experience becomes more relevant. And it's a, these are slow change things but that's kind of what you need. You need that kind of stuff. You can tax inheritances. You can, you can um, take away things like negative gearing and, and investment property tax breaks. But if we tax inheritance, how much of that would be going to these people? Do you think governments are implementing strategies that would actually tax quote-unquote rich and, you know, move it to the kids who are disadvantaged? Yeah, if you have a, if you have a prioritization of service delivery, for sure, it could do. You know, our government's always the most efficient. I know they seem really inefficient, but even with all that inefficiency, they are still more efficient than the private sector in delivering assistance to people, generally speaking. Um, you, you know, a dollar to Medicare is one of the best dollars that you can spend in terms of health outcomes for people. You know, a dollar for education makes a, makes a huge difference. And it's actually one of those weird things that I feel is annoying 
because in social impact and charity and stuff, because it's dominated by people who have their time and resources to just get into it, they've got like this a, a very venture capital mindset, entrepreneurship, you know, disrupt app, you know, scalability, all these kinds of business speak things mm. that aren't relevant in the delivery of services to human beings. And we get distracted and people look for the new thing and this thing. Fundamentally, while that's all happening, we've got governments taking money out of education, which has, you know, between education and healthcare, you you show me stuff that has better data-driven evidence on return on investment. You know, put the money into more places for, for people in, in in universities we know that it helps with social mobility get more kids from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and whose marks maybe haven't been as great at school into university and help them through that'll help level the playing field a little bit Hmm. um this kind of myth that it's only like that they're holding these spots for clever people but all these clever people just happen to go to these five schools (laughs) and then they dominate all the melbourne uni law commerce (laughs) courses do you get many international students coming to you for help or do you reach out to some? Yeah, so I've done some work um, around international student support, but generally the universities have programs that are supposed to be taking care of the kid of the international students. Mm. International students obviously have low abilities of accessibility into various kinds of help anyway in the country. So it's a it's they're a cohort that needs support definitely. Um, but until we could have a good conduit and like long term uh, I guess partnership in that space with organisations like university, like certain universities, to deliver it. It's they're very hard to access, mm-hmm. as are very remote people, as are really elderly, isolated people. And so it's not just could you help this person. It's like can you actually keep a hand on them in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And we have always prioritised people with people in real life. I've not tried to digitise everything because I think that's also part of the problem. So how do you find the resources to go and spend actual time face-to-face with these people? Well, yeah, that can be a bit of a challenge sometimes. That's so, the only biggest challenge. That's yeah. the biggest challenge you might see. Yeah. yeah. Actually spending physical time one-on-one with each person, that's very hard. It is hard, yeah. But it, again, it's it, we need to prioritise that and not in a bastardised, like everyone needs to come into the mm. office way, but in that like, you know, People generally can measure their happiness by like the number of sort of deep and meaningful relationships that they have. Mm. Once your basic needs are covered, you know, it's very diminishing returns over the top. If I've got great friends, food on the table, somewhere to live, mm. I feel pretty secure in that and, and some stuff to do, I'm pretty good. And the, the, the Birkin bag's not making a huge difference mm. on top of that mm. necessarily. So how do we cultivate that? And by virtue of people who are isolated being isolated, they're an invisible problem. Mm. Remember, I remember we did some um, work with an organisation and this woman was going out to see this elderly gentleman and the only people he saw were the Meals on Wheels people at the door when they dropped off stuff. And he hadn't had his sheets changed on his bed in like a year because he couldn't do it, he was too frail and no one else saw him. And I remember hearing, this was a long time ago, and I remember just thinking, oh man, there's all these people that are literally no one speaks to. Mm. they're just on their own Mm. every day Mm. that's so depressing and so horrible for any person because it's like the worst punishment you can give someone is to just isolate them completely stick them in a room by themselves for Mm. years on end oh 
And so how do we just like and Zoom Zoom psychological appointments are not helping that guy. Mm, yeah. You know, they're not helping that guy. Get some we need people to be able to go out and, and hang out with people and there are there are lonely people. You can facilitate time and, and opportunities. As humans, I think we thrive on social interactions. Massively. Regardless of whether you're an introvert or extrovert, you still need something. Yeah. Yeah. You develop a softness. It, it improves your ability to understand what's going on with people. Mm. Um, people are much more forgiving of one another in person as opposed Absolutely. to online. online. You know, we can we can talk there, around yeah. things we don't agree a lot easier, you know, in person. Um, and the other thing that people don't sort of acknowledge in spending time with people and, 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 and developing relationships and being in community is that it gives you better tools to understand yourself. There's this huge like weird culty self thing that, you know, oh, mindfulness and meditate, you know, write your own gratitude all the time, do all this stuff all the time. Some of these things are really useful tools and they're very good. But if you don't spend time with other people, if you're not involved in the lives of others in a meaningful way and you're not seeing what's going on, you don't even, you don't even have the tools and skills and, and knowledge to, to talk about what's going on with you. Mm. I mean, like imagine, imagine you're uh, on an island by yourself. Oh, let's, let's say there's a woman. There's a woman on an island she's by herself. Somehow she's grown up. She's, no, she's worked out you can eat this food. It's abundant mangoes and stuff and she's just wandering around eating food and hasn't seen another human like ever growing up to be a woman full fully grown and then one day you know you walk on this island somehow by accident dropped on a boat or something and you're looking at each other obviously you can't speak to each other and she's like oh what's going on anyway all you can do is what kind of feels good so you know you do what feels good and then for some reason, whatever, you drop dead or you leave or you get washed away by a tsunami and it's just this woman on the island. And then she gets pregnant. Like, so her belly's growing. She's never seen another person. Mm. Can you imagine how freakishly weird that, I don't know, a bit of gas, a bit of gas, mm. whatever. And then one day there's going to be a baby and be like, what on earth has just happened? Mm. Mm. All you need to do is know that people get pregnant. This is what happens. You're going to have a baby, blah, blah, blah. And it just, and then you have all this extra context to understand what you're going through mm. that you can only know from seeing it in other people. Mm. And that's the same of being sad, of being heartbroken, of someone passing away, of mm. having a difficult time at work, of, you know, people talk like they're the first person to be stressed at work, mm. the first person to be upset about a, a breakup. Mm. And I remember being a teenager and being like, oh, you know, I'm so in love with this girl at school and she's the most beautiful girl and i remember mum going she's not mm. i was like oh she's the most beautiful mum's like she's not you're gonna look at that one year ago mm. you know at some point you're gonna go she was not the most beautiful girl i was like oh you don't know what you're talking about you know but it's true because mm. she knows she's been a teenager yeah. we've all seen it you sit back you got a bit of clarity and you go all right i know you're heartbroken it's never gonna be the same all right you'll be all right do you think it's individual's responsibility as well to sort of fix your fix their own life fix their own situation take responsibility of themselves i think that's big as well it is massively yeah there we we have responsibility to do things for sure and there is always a juggle between even even in help you don't want to be too overly prescriptive or paternal you want to you want to give people agency in their mm. own lives it's not you need to do xyz because i did it mm. you don't need to like all the things i like and do all the things i do but 
people need the tools to audit their behaviors against the best version of themselves so that they can feel good about themselves as well and communicate to other people what they're about. Hmm. And we have a very specific framework for that that I use to try and explain it because I think it is so important, but it's important at an individual level, at, a, at an organisation level and, and, and society, as a society how we talk about things. And I've said before and written about it many times that I think values alignment is a waste of time. And I think values alignment is a waste of time because you can tell people your values. I can just say I value this and then I can walk out the door and tell someone else I value this mm. and it can be completely different. I'm completely unaccountable to it. I can change it on a dime. We want people to learn and be able to be flexible, but it's not really what you're about just to say you value something. So the setup that we, the, the framework that I sort of, I, I use is that values are the things you say you care about. And then principles are the actions that you take that demonstrate your values. And then your character is the strength of your adherence to those principles. So how strongly you actually uh, adhere to doing the things that you say you're going to do, not say that you care about stuff. Now, when you talk about what you do and it's backed up by actually doing it, then all of a sudden you're able to measure how you're going as a person, you're able to talk to other people about the stuff that you care about and that you really do and we're able to have discussions about productive doing of things <laughs> that's out of just your brain. And what you can find is you can actually have much better relationships around principles of doing things as opposed to necessarily just being values aligned. If Harmon and I just met today and I said, look, man, we're in the States, I have this little organisation, I really think kids shouldn't get shot in schools. And you go, oh, man, me too, absolutely. It's disgusting, you know, terrible. I hate it so much, me too. We're so values aligned. And then uh, I'm like, well, we've got this thing on tomorrow. You've got some time. Do you want to come along? Give us a hand. You go, great. Tonight you go out for dinner. Harmon's telling everyone, oh, God, they found this guy. Values aligned. Awesome. Kids shouldn't get shot in schools. Sounds great. Everyone goes, yeah, kids shouldn't get shot in schools. I'm going to go help them out tomorrow. Wicked. And you rock up tomorrow and I pull my bag out on the table. I was like, oh, man, I'm glad you're here. We're ready to get started. Put my bag on the table. I open it up. It's full of guns. You're like, what's going on with the guns? I'm like, well, I don't want any kids to get shot in school. You're like, I don't want any kids to get shot in school. And I'm like, so everyone needs a gun. And you're like, so no one needs a gun. What the hell is going on here? At this point in time, we are both 100% values aligned. Mm -hmm. But in principle, in the actions that we would take to execute on those values, we couldn't be further apart because I think everyone should have a gun and you think no one should have a gun. And so what happens is people say, I value X, I value equality, mm -hmm. I value jobs for people and I value jobs for people can be support them into developing into employable people who are really excellent and find jobs that are fulfilling and meaningful and great. Or it can be job active, which is we value jobs. We want to just flick you into the first job we can find. And if you don't take it, you're a lazy piece of shit. Mm. The principles are what matter. And the weird thing is if I said I don't want kids to die in schools and you said I couldn't give a shit about kids, mm. I like dogs or whatever, the way that people talk about values alignment, I'd be like, oh, Harmon, yuck, useless not values aligned he's this weirdo who doesn't care about kids oh that's horrible i'm going to go work on getting rid of guns in schools but then if i happen to say oh okay weird but we we get stuck talking and then i sort of say oh, i'm just trying to get rid of guns in schools and Harmon goes oh man i hate guns the aesthetics of them bother me 
I hate they just say this weird hyper masculine gross industrial death machine I don't like them they bother me I'd rather a world where we didn't have guns everywhere we're not values aligned but we could work together we could have a really productive working relationship getting rid of guns well how does values alignment make any sense then you know, because we can we, we see basically both sides of the political spectrum saying they care about the same stuff. We care about families, so we think you should have the baby, we think you should have the choice. We care about families, so we think parents should stay at home and you should sort your own lives out. We think we should support you to be able to live a good life. Mm. The values are pointless. What are the principles? And that when you understand what you're doing, that's their tool. Then you can build out tools to take responsibility for yourself. You can have better conversations about what we're doing when we're building support for people and what other people are doing. And it makes it easier to work out what other people are really about. Mm. I could tell you I'm about fitness. Or I could just show you my like Garmin thing that shows me that I've worked out every day for probably four years. You know what I mean? When you go, cool. <laughs> or someone says, I care about fitness, and you're like, you haven't trained. Mm. You haven't trained in 10 years. You're remembering an old thing when you used to care when you were in high school or whatever, but you actually haven't done anything for yonks. Mm. So people catch values looking at our TikTok video as well. So that's... Yeah, that's right. That's right. And how do we bring people together around doing the things that need to be done? Well, we've got to talk about what's being done, not just what do people care about because it's really easy to say something. I don't think sick kids should die. Oh, me too. Mm. Cool. Now what? Are we going to fix the drinking water? Are we going to, you know, prevent the environment from just being, you know, destroyed? Are we going to provide better standards of healthcare? Are we going to make sure everyone's vaccinated? What are, you, what are we talking about mm. here? Mm. It's easy to say like blanket statements yeah. like that, that are easy to get people to agree with. But what Let's are we put doing? it into practice. Yeah, what yeah. are we doing and yeah. what does that look like? And then we can debate about it. Like you can, you can disagree mm. about how to do it, and you can have different ways of going about the same. I love fitness, I like to run, you love fitness, you like to swim, great, no problems. Takes all kinds. No, no right or wrong answer in that, in that sort of way. I think people need help, so I enjoy progressive taxation ideas. Do you think people need help? So there should be less taxation for rich people so they can flick a few dollars off the top. All right, well, let's have a talk about how that could possibly work mm -hmm. out. I disagree fundamentally with that position. You want to keep all your money? All right, let's talk about it. Let's talk about how it relates to getting help to people or looking after mm. them or what that looks like. Great. We can have a chat about the actual mechanisms and what people are doing. I think that's really important for both giving people mm. agency in their own lives and, and helping them determine what they need to do and actually bringing people together around things that, that matter. So where is at this moment, where is the funding coming from to help these people? Everywhere or at JBN? Everywhere or JBN. Yeah, both. Well... Yeah, it's, so the the government does plays a massive role. It's the biggest mover in the space in almost every sort of large democracy. Mm. Uh, they have the most infrastructure. They have the the most money. They put the most in anywhere where there's a social safety net, and in other places with maybe better mobility, you see like higher rates of taxation and stuff like that. Scandinavia is always sort of dragged out as a good example of this. Social mobility is high. Taxes are high. Uh, public services are of high quality and there's lots of them. Um, education's good, healthcare's good. So that's an example of the government taking control and, and doing that. In the States, um, they, pay a, they pay a lot more for healthcare and things like that for poorer outcomes uh, because they've got this weird hybrid privatised sort of model. Mm -hmm. So in Australia, the government at all levels takes a big part of that. 
I don't think we have this great attachment to it anymore. I feel like perhaps when Medicare started, people were like, yeah, Medicare, great, mm. well done us, like mm. great work, everyone. This is a really good thing. I think people are certainly the the newspapers and stuff will have a crack at, oh, well, it's a bit wasteful and, oh, you know, be responsible for your own stuff and they're really trying to take that sort of American line which is detrimental. I think we should be really proud of our public services. Yeah. And I think that we should understand that gutting them, a, a strong public service is a really great indicator that the country is going well. Mm. They're good jobs in the public service, so more of them I think is better. I don't think we should have less of them. I don't think consultants should be taking billions of taxpayer dollars to pay these giant consultancies that give shit advice anyway. I think we should have institutional knowledge that we hang around that we keep for a long time, people should have good long public service careers. I think we should have a large public service. I like that. Uh, in terms of then delivering it from a uh, sort of social service delivery, some inordinate amount of funding in social services comes from the government anyway, even into the non-profit sector. So they, they do pay significant amount of money into that sector. And then there's some philanthropy and then there's some donation stuff. There are philanthropic th funds that exist with hundreds of billions of dollars in them. Um, philanthropy is, you know, it's weird because it only exists because of massive amounts of inequality in the first place. So I would argue that it, it causes a bunch of problems as well. Some of them are really good. Most of them aren't. That's okay. That's the nature of the system. At JBN, we look to partner with organisations and individuals who say we want to do good and we want to do it better and we're not sure how to do it. And we mm -hmm. go in and we audit them and we, f and we identify the resources that are useful. And then we say, here's a plan that we think to manage those resources. You don't do all your accounting, you hand it off to the accountant, they come back and say, is this the kind of, you're happy with this? You go, yes. Stop guessing what you can do to help. Stop trying to do one transactional thing and call it social impact. We can take the best of what your people do and what your business does and how you operate and integrate in a way that fits in with your operational rhythms and your skill set and your client base and location, all that stuff to give you the best chance to have the best uh, impact and give us access to the best quality of assistance for people. Mm. I want accountants to do accounting. I want them to help us with the accounting. I don't want them to paint walls. I've got painters that can paint walls. I don't want you to go work in a soup kitchen. I've got 12 year olds that can work in a soup kitchen, you know, to take people who have hourly rates in the hundreds and put them in a soup kitchen and tell them that's the best thing they can do mm. is insane. And doing good is not about walking into an area of obvious visible disadvantage, doing some token thing and leaving. Mm. Just it's so about you can feel good. Horrible. Mm. It's about taking the best thing that you can do and then making that, ex that available to people in need. And what it does is also raise the standard of help because people deserve the best kind of help, not just some help. Mm. And there's this real sort of implicit sort of thing that like, well, if I just give you any help, you should just be happy with it mm. no matter what it is. And I disagree with that fundamentally, absolutely. I think that someone who needs help probably needs access to the best, like even more than, than someone who doesn't need help. You need mm. access to the very best tier of assistance we can give you. I think knowing that someone has your back can do a lot to someone's sort of mental well-being mm. as well because it's so easy for people to become uh, disenfranchised 
I suppose. Massively. Yeah. It's also really hard because we tell people you can just swan into someone's life and help them. But a lot of people with complex life, well, everyone's got a complex life, but people with like long-term disadvantage and stuff, if you're a lay person with no experience, you don't actually really have the tools to just go in and mm. understand it straight away. Yeah. And so I want to create environments where there are soft edges to, to, to get along. So if, if you're an accountant who's previously gone and painted walls for your day off, you know, impact day or whatever, and I've said, hang on, no, we're going to take those hours and I'm going to use them. You, I need you to do these assessments for me. So when I sit down now to chat to you as someone who needs help, you're in an environment you're fully comfortable in. Mm. You already know the accounting bit. You, mm. It's all there. So you've got a little bit of extra mental space to just have a chat and you mm. say, oh, you know, I, I was on Centrelink for a bit or I did this and I go, oh, me too. And you go, okay, cool. And I, go, oh, I go for Hawthorne, I go for Hawthorne too. I've got two kids, oh, I've got two kids, you know. Well, my kids are this age, oh, yeah. Okay, my kids are at a different school and in a different circumstance but I understand what it's like to have two kids. All of a sudden we're actually getting a chance to understand each other in a way that it's very difficult mm. to take a person who has been rough sleeping for 20 years, who is mm. chronically uh, substance abuse problems, maybe some really really um, prevalent psychiatric mental health challenges, and be like, here's some soup. Hey, tell me about your life. Like, what, what do you mm. have? Where are you even going to start this conversation? You're really bringing it back to that human level. Yeah. It just talk to someone, just understand yeah. them, understand each other, you know. And be a part of a solution. Yeah. So when you do the assessment, you're not solving all their problems. Mm. And no one intervention really will solve anyone's problems. So what, But what you can't do is contribute at the end of your expertise in a system that will then go, all right, they need an extra 50 bucks a week. This is the deal. We need to consolidate these. I'm going to make a couple of phone calls, tell these debt collectors they're being, uh, you know, they're doing the wrong thing. We're going to do X, Y, Z. Great. Next thing is take them to the next spot where they're going to get ready for work and do the things. And then when you do a checkup in a few months' time, you get to see that it's that it's progressed and that it's going well. And then you get to place yourself in a context that says, oh, the thing I did wasn't the thing. Mm. <laughs> I did a thing which was part of all the things. And when you understand that properly, then when systems of help are being discussed, you know there is no one thing. Mm. You know that another $150 million for Lifeline isn't solving the problems for people who don't have enough money to pay their bills, that it's a valuable part of a system if the other bits of the system are also functioning. And unless we put them in there as well and we say, hang on, hang on, hang on, what else is happening? Yeah. We can't just abrogate our responsibility constantly by saying, ah, oh, we've done this one thing and we'll call it a day for these people. But they need X, Y, Z, you know, they need all of these things lined up. And when you're a part of systems that do that, you get it. And when you pay attention to the way that, that people get help like that, you will advocate for better help. Mm. And, of course, in any functional, well-resourced family with happy, loving people and access to material assistance, that's, how, that's what it looks like. Mm -hmm. You try a few things. You bugger up a few times. You fall over, you get up. You do this mm. thing. You make a mistake. You go, okay, we have a chat. We reflect. We try again. You know, we tell our 15-year-old kids, Works good. They say, I can't be bothered. You say 10 mm. o'clock's not that early in the morning. They say, it's too early in the morning. And then when they're 20, they go, nah, it's not that early in the morning or, you know, works mm. all right. It's better to work than, and have some money than not work. Mm. Do you have – so what, what have been the success stories in JBN uh, at this moment? I think that um, one, one particular one that springs to mind is that um, when I had a, a kid come knock on the door and, and – uh, at the office and, and 
and he was like in a suit and would work with him from when he was a kid, young kid, it was 10 years prior as well, you know. Worked for him for years and, and done some stuff and, and he's like, man, I just want to come show. I got it. I'm a real estate agent now. I'm like killing it. You know, he's a little business car. Mm. He's like, oh man, it's so good. And he's a he's a first generation migrant from from Africa. And um, you know, he was growing up in the flats in Collingwood. And um, what I like is is the ten year time frame mm. there. You know, it was in one day, one week. No, no, because it's really, I mean, it's really hard. It's, there's very few problems that are solved in one day. I mean, there's Barely. there's a couple of, if you do want to solve a problem really quickly, you have to spend a lot of money, you know, like a Time, lot of money. Energy, money, yeah. Because you've got to be like, all right, well, if we want to just finish the job on this person, we need to set them up so far in front of like, mm. you know, like you need all of this stuff. Like it's a lot. Um, and it's not really efficient. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a great outcome. Mm. Um, but you know, when people feel comfortable in the community and support they're getting, that's that's what make, makes a big difference. And it's something that a lot of people tell a story about, like, oh, uh, when I was growing up, and then there was this guy, and he was at the flats or whatever, and then he said, "Hey, man, you could be a real estate agent," and it changed my life. Mm-hmm. And then I went and did it. Right? That's like a real common kind of epiphanous story. Mm-hmm. And so then people who listen to that story go, all right, what I've got to do is I've got to go to poor people and I've got to say, you can be a real estate agent and it'll change their life. But what they missed was that that guy that rocked, that told him that had been there for three years, talking to him, playing with him, hanging out, chatting. It's all that trust, all that time, and it's the luck of the timing that made that work. Not the words. There's no like shortcut to just saying the word that goes, oh, you could do this. If a stranger came up to you in the street and said, you could be an astronaut, you'd be like, you're a crazy person. Mm. This isn't motivated me to go be a, an astronaut. Mm. But if your uncle who's known you your whole life, who is a physicist or something, and he's been over your shoulder and helped you with some stuff and he went, you know what, man, if you really wanted to be, I'm not fit enough, I'm not in good enough shape, but you could be an astronaut. Mm. You go, oh, maybe I could be a fucking astronaut. Mm. And it's not... That he said you could, even though the story you tell might be like, oh, ah, yeah. that was the moment that set me on my path. Mm. It's all that other time. It's all that legacy time yeah. and trust and effort yeah. and, and your belief in that person that yeah. did it. And mm. we try and cut that out of all these interventions just mm. to go, oh, just just tell someone, oh, good on you, mate, and then yeah. they'll be okay. Mm. Well, who's telling you and when are they telling you yeah. and do you care about that person and have they earned that right to, to change your life on that spot? Mm. We miss that in the co- all the time, and mm. that's the most important bit. Mm. So yeah, we skip or skip over all that important yeah. stuff. Yeah, because we're in such a hurry. Everyone's in such yeah. a hurry to mm. not have to do the thing. The, boor- the the difficult truth is, you got to just keep showing up. You got to just mm. keep showing up and giving shit, and that makes a huge difference. So if people want to help you um, on the project, how how can they approach you? How can they reach out to you? Uh, yeah, we've got uh, like webpage jbnproject.com. Um, you can find you know, JBN Project on all the socials or, you know, you can reach out to me, Josh Reed Jones, on all the things, LinkedIn and Instagram and all that sort of stuff. I can reach out and say day and see what's, what's up. You know what I realised? I think <clears throat> helping someone one-on-one as the, as the example that you brought, the real estate person, also helps you as well because when you're guiding and mentoring someone, 
you also learn so much about yourself. Mm. It, 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 of course, it's a, you know, I feel good for it as well, but it also reflects in like, okay, I see a bit of myself in this person. I'm going to help him grow. Mm. I think that's a very good thing. People, more people should do that. I think also when you see, I mean, that's why even mother's groups are so effective because when you realize that you're not the only person that's going through an experience True. and that other people mm. are, then it, it's really hard to be so self-centered, <laughs> you know, mm. oh, I had the worst day ever. Well, all you have to do is work with people who are having similar days or worse or days, worse days or you've just got friends who are also doing it. And when you talk about stuff, you can actually laugh about there's a huge difference. You know when you you know when you've had a real shitty day and your mates had a real shitty day and you're like, oh, I did this, oh man, this happened. And it's like not so shitty. Yeah. If you just sit in a room and, and ruminate on your own shitty day, yeah. it's a miserable thing. It's a miserable place to be. Mm. So I think even just complaining never helps as a single individual. It never helps. It's, nah. Yeah. But it's nice to have a whinge and get it off your chest, but it's nice to be able to put your struggles and your life and experiences in the context of like this is human. This is normal. Mm. So much of people who feel isolated is like, oh, I felt seen. I want I felt mm. connected. And that's just people going, Hey man, this happened. And like for men, it's weird stuff. Mm. You know, sometimes it can be like just say, you know, the, like if you take a bravado conversation out of something and everyone's like, oh, you know, I'm just out here and I'm I'm the world's greatest lover and then, you know, someone's sitting there thinking, fuck, I must be the biggest loser and then someone goes, anyway, so the other day I premature ejaculated, like <laughs> it was crazy and then everyone goes, oh, thank God, yeah, oh, we've all had that, you know, we've, that's all happened and mm. everyone can relax a little bit mm. because that happened or not. I split up with the missus, I cried like a baby, like oh, I cried when my missus broke up and all of a sudden like mm. it just takes that it takes it away from you, that sort of honesty and that, and, and then when you realise other people are much the same mm. and, and that we all want similar things, you know, it makes it easier to be a person. We're and, all in this together. Yeah, and you don't yeah. get buried by your own bullshit, which mm. is nice. And I think that it's such a tragedy that people don't have the time to just hang out and, and, and be honest with each other and have good friendships and, and be in communities where you see what's going on. And some places do it really well. And... It's, again, like the missing bit of when people go to sort of lower-income countries, they go, oh, these people are still happy with nothing. That doesn't mean that they don't deserve hot showers. Mm -hmm. It just means they've got good relationships with their families. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be like, well, they're happy with no showers, so mm. we'll leave them to do that and I've got to go, you know, make sure I get all their Enjoy extra... the jacuzzi. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly, because it's that's not the message. The message should be like... But, you know, when people have good relationships around them, you can endure a lot and you feel good, but they should still have hot showers and clean drinking water and all this stuff. Should, you know, we should have that same aspiration for, for them as well. Listen, man. Um, I think yes. you're doing some great work. Great work, uh, yeah. yeah. Thanks, man. Um, I wish you all the luck. Yeah, um, thanks, man. <laughs> I hope um, we can get to a place that we can be of help and service to you as well someday. But I think we're we're at the beginning stages of our lives. Well. We're very young, and I'm, again, I've I'm, I've been six years and still trying to find my way as well here. Yeah. And uh, again, life's not easy, but I like to think of myself that look, I can't make excuses. I can't think like that. I'm just gonna get up and do the work. And just you know, find my way through. Look, man, the thing I always tell everyone is, it's not, there's not a no rush. Like just with helping people, it's not a mad rush. And if you're in doubt, just just keep working on being better at the thing that you're mm. already good at. Mm. The better you are at something, the more opportunity for impact you'll have later on or whenever. Like no one yells at brain surgeons 
in training, in their 20 years of training, and says, well, you're at the soup kitchen, you're not doing enough good. <laughs> what we hope is they do a really good job because at some point Being they're going to be able to do something mm. that no one else can do and we need that then. There always has to be That's a beginning. That's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Really good point. So just What's, keep being good. What's the one or two things that you right now need most help with? Um, oh, look, there's always just there's always resource challenges. We always need we always need more more help with resources, and that's just the thing is it's I mean obviously money is is pretty easy because it's liquid. You can do a lot of stuff with it, but it's all kinds of things. It's just people committing to the long term uh, sort of project, even just saying, mm. yeah, man, we're in, we're in next year. Because of the impatience, it can be a bit difficult. Sometimes people reach out and I go, "Cool, we're gonna we can do this." I just got to find the right, like when we need you, we'll need you, and then it could be like four weeks later, I just see them. They're like, "Oh, I'm doing this other thing for this other thing," because they just had to post about something. They had to f- say something. They're in a rush to do a thing. Just keep getting better at it. You know, mm. I, I I just the better you are at stuff, the the we need people to value being excellent. We need people to be good friends to each other. Not not look past the people around you to like help some sort of other thing somewhere else. It's not easier to help a hundred people or a thousand people than it is to help one. one. And if you've got a mate who is, to your point earlier, taking his time, getting on top of his feet, keeps buggering up, and you go, I'm tired, I've had enough, I can't be bothered, then you're probably not ready to jump into something that's going to help people. Because you already know this person and care about them and you have you're some still trust not there. Helping them, yes. What I would say then in that instance is is manage your energy so you can be there as long as you need to be there. Mm. I do that for my friend. Yeah, that's right. I try my best. Try, try your best. best. Sometimes you are too tired and sometimes you've got to be honest with them and say, listen, man, I'm still here. I love you. I care about you. I just need a minute because I'm frustrated. But not tapping out like of those things, I mean, that means there's less people that I have to worry about as well. So we don't value that because you can't post – on on Instagram, anyway, helped my mate today because I'm a great mate. No one gives a shit, and you look like a dickhead. But if you if you say oh, I did a run for something, like there's just some stuff I just think how how do people feel feel like this thing that they said they did actually connects to the thing? I, I copped a lot of abuse as a kid, right? And I don't think at any point in time, if my father was still alive, that he would be about to punch me in the head. And then go, wait a minute, Harmon painted his nail the other day. I'm not going to do this. Hmm. No. What he might do is if you were his mate and you said, stop fucking hitting your kids, you're an idiot, you know, Mm. or you were there or you intervened or you helped him not be so angry or whatever it was, helped him sort his shit out, Hmm. then maybe he would do it. That's a difficult proposition. That takes time, effort, care, understanding, love, patience. Empathy. Much easier to just go do some other thing. So we've got this whole generation of people looking past the things they can do every day for the people around them to go yell at strangers on the internet or tell everyone else what to do. Virtue signaling. It's lots of virtue signaling as well. It's difficult, and it's, and it's uh, you know there's there are conflicting messages out there for people. It's hard to it's hard to navigate if you don't know. So you know just keep being really good at what you do, and uh, the better people are, the more prepared they are to look after people for the long term. The more people look after each other and, and build communities around them of like positive aspirational communities, not always just against something, but being for stuff and being softer towards one another um, and more understanding. I think that would take a lot of the heat out of the air. And then the other thing is to like instead of putting – I think that we need to change the conversation 
to take the onus off the most vulnerable people and what they need to do and put it on the most privileged people and what they're not doing. Mm-hmm. We, we've got to stop telling poor people what you need to do to get out of here and start looking around them and go, we are creating a hellscape for people who are coming to this country or who are being born into like disadvantage because of the huge gap that we're leaving for people. And yes, there are success stories and yes, sometimes people you know, work from you know, here to here. But social mobility data exists and it's not good at the moment and it has been better. And a lot of the people in their 50s and 60s and 70s grew up in a time of excellent social mobility and don't understand that their advice doesn't work now because partly of the environment that they've created and the way that they want to hang on to resources and, and assets and wealth and whatever. We need to change the conversation now. people understand that you're not poorer if we change some of these rules to benefit people who need a hand and so that your advice actually works, so that people actually do get that mobility from doing the work that you say they need to do instead of them doing it and going, I don't understand why I'm still stuck. So I think if we can change those things, align our aspirations for everybody, not just here but also overseas, um, and say so we want everyone to have good lives where we're not destroying the planet, we're looking after each other and everyone's fed, watered, educated, having a good time, got good relationships, great, you know, then I think we'll make some really good headway. That was awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <mate. laughs> Dan? Yeah, this, this has been good. This has been quite the um, education and I think, again, you're doing amazing work and it's just something that I admire a lot in you Uh, as i said before we started the podcast i sort of found you through a podcast you did with milsey good old rob and started reading all about you and i thought oh this guy this this guy is doing some some good work so uh, thank you for being here Uh, thanks for having me i really appreciate it and let's wrap this up if you have any other questions no i think i'm good good. yeah my man josh thank you so much and we wish you all the luck Let's wrap this up, boys. Thanks, man. Cheers.